Thanks for tuning in to Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. Alexis and Suzanne here with a quick message about our early season one episodes. Just like it took Rory time to get settled into Chilton and the Gilmore Girls writers to develop the role of a random guy named Mick to the Kirk that we all know and love, here at Talking Fast, it took us some time to learn to podcast. As you listen to our early episodes, we ask for your patience as you witness our process of learning how to host a podcast, organize an episode, edit audio, get new equipment, and more. We also understand that sometimes you just like to skip over the Independence Inn and get to the good parts of Lorelai and Suki living out their dreams running the dragonfly. So if that's the case, feel free to skip ahead to after our mid-season one recap where we feel we hit our podcasting groove. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy and stick around. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, and we're excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Today, we'll be discussing Gilmore Girls Season 1, Episode 3, Kill Me Now. That's the title. I'm not <laughs> saying Kill Me Now. <laughs> and I found the Netflix bio for this episode, which is... When Rory and Richard bond during a day of golf at the club, Lorelai feels jealous of Rory's deepening connection with her grandparents. So, very concise. (laughs) Right. I don't think we will be as concise in our Talking Fast attempts. (laughs) In our segment, Talking Fast, we'll attempt to recap as fast as the Gilmore Girls themselves. So here's how it works. We'll each take on the challenge of recapping the episode in only 30 seconds. So let's talk fast. I think I went first last time. So Suzanne, would you like to take on the challenge first? Yeah, let's see how much I remember. All right. <laughs> on your mark, get set, go. Okay, so we start off with a Friday night dinner when Rory has to decide what sport she's doing. Um, she decides, well, Richard and Emily decide that she should do golf and... To do that, she's going to go to the club with Richard and go golfing. So that's part of what they do during the episode. Also, Lorelai is arranging a wedding for twins um, who are also marrying twins, and it gets very confusing. Um, And then Richard and Rory go... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that was 30 seconds. (laughs) I almost wish we... we... (laughs) Should we give ourselves a minute for the first few episodes? (laughs) Get better at it. We gotta challenge ourselves. Then we'll... That's true. Only then will we get better. (laughs) You had a very good summary of the, like, first ten minutes, which was maybe (laughs) the issue. (laughs) Okay, ready? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Go. Alright, so as you mentioned, Friday night dinner, Rory needs to play a sport, they decide golf, she goes golfing with Richard, he's not, he's like reluctant to go, but they start to bond throughout the excursion, meanwhile, Lorelai has hosting a wedding for twins, marrying twins, and then the day is over, they're fighting because Rory got along, uh, they're fighting some more. They <laughs> reconcile at the end, and in between there, Suki's uh, there. <laughs> uh, I feel like yeah. we both focus mostly on the same part. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. Should we slow down um, and 
slowly go over the main moments of the episode. Yeah, I think that it, it will be best that we do slow down. <laughs> uh, so this episode starts out and it actually ends with sort of this bookend structure of the Friday night dinner that both of us found the time to mention in our Talking Fast segments. Uh, is there anything left to say about this Friday night dinner other than that it really establishes the premise of the episode, which is like, she has to golf, but it's kind of, it sets forward, it's not really about golf, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, there was one part that I found really interesting, which was the fight between Emily and Lorelai. like, they go off into the parlor or something to talk about it, and it's basically Lorelai telling Emily that Emily can't trust anything Rory says because Rory will just say whatever Emily wants to hear. And I thought that was a, a like a very strange conflation of like you're a quiet person therefore you do whatever anybody else wants, which makes me personally angry. <laughs> but I also thought it was just like way to like stand up for your daughter. I, it's kind of, I don't know, projection maybe for, of Lorelai. Because Rory, like, again and again proves that she is willing to speak her own mind, I think. Right. That was a, f a fascinating argument they had, and I feel like it was related. It brought up a lot of the issues we discussed last time with them, too. Mm -hmm. And the line that stuck out to me the most is Emily saying, I guess you and I are more alike than we thought about her and... Lorelai being both that controlling mother assuming they know what is best for their daughter yeah. as you were saying it's like yeah Lorelai isn't even asking what how Rory feels about this and Emily points that out which is ironic of course because Emily never did that with Lorelai and now Lorelai is doing that with Rory and there's a bit of dramatic irony that we kind of already know it's foreshadowed that like Rory is going to have a good time and uh, yeah, but I just, that was a really good fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, kind of, it really did, like, follow the exact same pattern as the ones in the last episode. And mm -hmm. honestly, most of their fights, I think, follow the same pattern where Emily wants Rory to do something and Lorelai <laughs> is afraid that that means that Rory won't be like her or something like that. But... right. I appreciate that it's a continued and kind of repetitive fight because it seems more real to actual life. Like when we have relationships, we often have recurring problems in a given relationship, you know? It's not, I'm glad they don't just try to solve something in an episode. They're like far, far more aware. It's more complex than that. So, yeah, that's true. I also thought it was a sad. Uh, it, it made me remember, like, not that conversation, but the dinner conversation made me remember how terrible PE is, like, the physical education system in schools. Like, it just makes, like, people who are athletic do well, and people who aren't do badly and feel terrible about themselves the whole time. Um, but I thought mm -hmm. it was cool that Rory got it choice I like mm -hmm. a very broad choice of what she wanted to do so that at least was good 
I related so much when Rory said, I'm not the athletic type. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm like, same. And then also when Lorelai says, like, debate club is a sport the way that Gilmores do it. And I also thought, like, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. Did you have, um, did you have PE every year when you were in high school? So it was in, I switched high schools during my senior year. In my first high school, I only had to take it freshman year. So then it was, like, free and clear. When I transferred, um, I had to make up PE credits because I was, if I had been at that school the whole time, I would have taken it every semester. So for that last year of school, I took two PE classes each semester. <laughs> and they were on the same day, so I just, like, was in two gym classes. It was it was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Oh my god. See, I was about to complain about how I had to take PE every single semester, and I've met a lot of people in college or grad school where that wasn't the case for them. Like, yeah, they only had to take it their first year, but now now my complaint seems like so like it's nothing to have to have two PEs per semester. Oh my gosh, yeah. I'm just glad, like, we, at least I didn't have to take it in college. I think there are some schools that require like some physical credits somewhere mm. that suck. I actually I did I went to a pretty liberal arts college though so it was called physical well-being <laughs> and there are actually a lot of different options some of them were incredibly intense and then others were for the us of the non-athletic types just <laughs> like uh, so I took for an hour <laughs> Actually, I took Tai Chi, and we did meditate for, like, the first five minutes every time. It was quite relaxing, and I waited until my very last semester of my senior year to satisfy that requirement (laughs) because I don't like PE, and it ended up being pretty delightful, actually. Yeah, Yeah, that does Um, sound kind of nice. I think this transitions us fairly well to the physical activity of the episode, (laughs) which is the golf outing at the country club we get to go see that realm of the world mm-hmm. <laughs> uh what like what stood out to you the most about this whole uh multiple scenes really of the golfing outing i found the like random side characters that we met really interesting i mean first off i thought it was great that rory and her grandpa were bonding like they definitely have a lot in common that neither of them can really talk about with other people necessarily um so i Mm. thought that was good but some of the like yeah some of the people that they run across like that odious woman and her poor little dog (laughs) and those those guys in the sauna um i thought that they were really interesting it's also just such a it's kind of like a parallel to the strange characters we meet that in lorelei's day and then the strange characters we meet in Rory's day, they're, they're all mm-hmm. weird. Um, but I, I enjoy every single one of them in weird, different ways. <laughs> what did you like about golfing, or did anything stand out to you? Yeah, I think pretty much the same two things that you just mentioned. The first being the development of Richard and Rory's relationship, because... I completely forgot that Richard was, like, reluctant to Mm -hmm. have that relationship with Rory uh, because later on he's, like, 
so doting, so dedicated, so active in pursuing that. And I guess we see by the end of this episode, like, I actually, I thought it was really, like, sweet and heartwarming the way that they were talking. And at first, it's sort of awkward, but then like Roy's asking him what he does at work and she like genuinely wants to hear answers and then they bond over like her desire to travel and it ends with him like asking her to lunch when earlier he had told Emily like oh I I didn't agree to lunch too and I just thought it was like really really sweet in a way that I wasn't expecting I thought it I just remembered it as a humorous like oh look how bad she is at golf outing which was funny too um yeah but I I liked the the sauna scenes and the lunch afterward of like oh look at these you know like the old naked white men like so entitled and bickering about golf carts and things like that it was a very patriarchal scene Mm -hmm. but done in a a humorous way so the like the critique didn't feel super heavy like you could laugh at them successfully in that moment so (laughs) yeah yeah I also yeah I was thinking like Richard's nervousness kind of before they hung out I think it's really interesting to see that side of things because when I was a teenager and a kid of course I never thought about the adults being nervous Um, especially like to hang out in a one-on-one situation with a kid they don't know very well but as an adult now I can absolutely uh, agree with that it's very weird and like even though you're I mean it's not really a position of power but like you're the more experienced person it's still awkward to try and figure out what to talk about with Mm -hmm. like basically a little stranger mm-hmm. but yeah I liked how that went on went off with them because they do have a great relationship for like the rest of the show right I think that's a good point because we even see the the guys in the sauna complain about how they don't get along with their teenage grandchildren either so I think it does kind of put up this so the sort of gener- not a generational divide so much as just the difficulty of like how does an older generational member like bond with someone younger like what do the young kids like these days yeah, uh, yeah and she's not rebellious which is like that seemed to be the main point of contention for the other old guys is that their grandchildren were probably a little bit older than Rory and were rebelling and so they were they didn't understand it they couldn't remember back to their own rebellions <laughs> back in the day if they had them (laughs) it also this episode also had me thinking back to like my own grandpa who like was also into golf and he wanted to he did take me golfing once and he was kind of like Richard well maybe not quite like Richard but like the way that Richard immediately they bond over something and Richard like goes to get the book for her and not just the book but Mm -hmm. like the other manuscript too like (laughs) he really goes all in and that's what my grandpa would do like if I showed any sign of interest in something he liked he was very spontaneous (laughs) not necessarily responsible with like the money of it all but uh so we like went golfing and the next time I was over there was like a set of child's like golf clubs for me (laughs) like and yeah it was it's really it's sweet but it was also a bit as we talked about with like 
the like relationship of how to like communicate or get along with someone it was a bit overwhelming for me and I felt the pressure of what having to like perform and act out that like activity to his satisfaction you know and I was like at the end of the day did I like golf that much not really but I like you know you want to make them happy too and like have that nice experience but yeah that was like a good memory that I brought up for me (laughs) but that might move us to the other the simultaneous like day that is happening which is like Lorelai being this really successful like rich mother whisperer you know like a horse whisperer (laughs) dealing with a mom and her two twins who are marrying twins as we said at the um not the dragonfly inn the independence inn no dragonfly the inn (laughs) yeah i i for some reason i never remember this episode as being so early because i don't know it seems like something that happens later for some reason in my mind but yeah i think that this is a great like way to see Lorelai's character being built and kind of also show that she based probably a lot based off of her experience growing up knows how to deal with people like this and um I also just love how like Michelle and Suki attempt to deal with this weird wedding Michelle is kind of ridiculous as usual and labels the twins which I I mean who can blame him really but yeah I I, I really like this whole I don't know event planning mm-hmm. thing yeah it seems like a like on the surface level it's like a parody of like the incestuous elitist realm you know <laughs> like by literally mm-hmm. having like siblings marry another set of siblings <laughs> which is just so really weird. weird to say out loud <laughs> But is it Drella who brings up the, like, if they accidentally went into the wrong person's room, <laughs> was that her or Suki? That was Suki that about, yeah. right, if a brother goes into the wrong room and thinks it's his wife, is it cheating? And yeah. Lorelai, I think, says no, and Suki says, like, lucky. <laughs> so maybe Suki is interested in less of a typical monogamous heteronormative relationship than we might know but (laughs) yeah like the other episodes didn't necessarily lean into such comedic plot lines so it also gives you a sense of like yeah the Mm -hmm. show is interested in these emotional kind of psychological even relationships between characters and kind of character study and then on the other hand like it's funny And sometimes it's just going to be about, like, the funniness of these different communities that it sort of studies and features. Yeah. Yeah, we also get to learn some very interesting facts about people, such as Michelle is afraid of swans. He he said he was attacked by a band of swans in the Luxembourg Gardens, and then Lorelai follows up with a joke about boy bands. (laughs) It was really, it was funny. And Drella came back, and it it made me think, um, have you seen the Lizzie McGuire movie? <laughs> why is yes, her, yes, I always Why is her character that. basically the exact same in that movie and this show? Like, the only difference is she plays a harp in one and then is, like, a principal in the other. But it's, like, the same exact, like, Yeah. <laughs> 
She's got that, like, perfect tone of voice for just, like, ragging mm-hmm. on people, basically, and, like, teasing them. Yeah. I also, I just love that she is interested also in Michelle. That would be a very uh, volatile relationship. Plus, at this point in the show, they're still trying to convince us that mm-hmm. Michelle is straight, although we all right. know he's this not. Is the se- I made the note of that. This is the second time they had a female character sexualize Michelle in some way or desire him. And I, in, like, mm-hmm. I mean, I did like that it was Drella here. I thought it was funny, and yet it made me imagine, like, what would a fan fiction with those two characters be like? <laughs> but on the other hand, I'm like, who are we? Who are we kidding here? Like, <laughs> they, it seems like they want to have it both ways, yeah. which I guess perhaps is the, like, this was on network TV 21 years ago thing. Like he has to, is it that he has to be mm-hmm. coded in certain ways, but then they have to like throw in these lines. I don't, for heterosexual all the time. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that ends quickly. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't remember many other instances, especially not after the first season where, where he is, where they attempt to make him seem straight. They just don't, ever mention any relationships he has until the revival I think right except with his dogs but that's getting a bit a bit ahead of things <laughs> yeah but speaking of animals we had swans here yeah. and we discussed last time it was Mick who was setting up the DSL yeah. uh, not Kirk but here is the same actor who becomes Kirk and he's not named here mm-hmm. and it there's no like <laughs> There's no mention of either Lorelai recognizing him as Mick or, and there's no, like, she doesn't call him Kirk or know him as a town member either. So I think in this yeah. moment, he's still in this sort of hybrid space of, like, the show wanting to bring him back in this role, but they haven't yet established that he will, like, become this recurring Kirk character. But I, like, mm-hmm. I shouted when I saw him again. I was like, yes, Kirk. <laughs> I wonder what the show would have been like if they just continued for the entire, like, trajectory of the show, just having him play these recurring characters and, like, do all the things that Kirk does, but nobody acknowledges that it's the same person. That would have been hilarious. But I also, like, fully appreciate Kirk as a character himself, so. Right. I think it's, (laughs) I like your idea of, like, yeah, I also, in this, kind of in this uh, scene, like, just the stuff that's going on at the Independence Inn, we get more of Suki and Jackson and their uh, fruit strawberry debacle, which I loved. Um, Last time, I think it was, like, she was rolling peaches on the floor or something. This time, he's attempting to get her to use blueberries instead of strawberries, which... I would have loved to have blueberry shortcake. That sounds pretty good to me. But I just, like, the their relationship just cracks me up, especially them, like, running through the street in front of cars later on. <laughs> I agree. The Their argument over, like, strawberries versus blueberries reads as, like, a lover's quarrel <laughs> in a way, mm-hmm. but it's about, like, the produce. I, I just love that they're both experts in what, each of them does you know but to the point that they're almost clueless about 
maybe not so much Jackson, but Suki is like such an artist that she's almost a little clueless to like social cues of people around her. Or like, um, I'm thinking about when she walks over across the street to go see the strawberries and someone like falls over, right? Because she just walks (laughs) in front of a bike. Like she's just so like, I am a chef. I need strawberries for my strawberry shortcake. I see beautiful strawberries. I'm ignoring like the whole physical world around me, but then it's like producing this like physical comedy that like her character is involved with a lot throughout the show. Hmm. Yeah. I kind of like to think of, or I guess headcanon, like Suki and maybe Jackson as well as autistic people. Hmm. Cause they both have such extreme interests and, um, they also are just, like, a little bit socially awkward, but also, you know, completely endearing to the people who they care about. And I just like thinking of them as representation of that. I don't know mm-hmm. if it really continues throughout, mm-hmm. if I would say the same thing later on in seasons, but at this point, I definitely would see that <laughs> for both of them. That's really cool. I hadn't thought about that before. And I think that's definitely something we should track as we watch more episodes to see if that, like, headcanon proves to be, like, if we can find more evidence for that theory Mm -hmm. or just way of watching the show, basically, with those characters. Yeah, diversify the cast a bit. (laughs) Right, in our minds, at least, even if it's not on the screen. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Okay, should we, so we have covered the wedding, we've covered Richard and Rory golfing, um, do we want to cover the main arguments between Lorelai and Rory and how they deal with these new, I don't know, dynamics between Rory and the grandparents? I saw it as being, like, two-pronged in a cool way, so, like, half of Lorelai's jealousy is what we kind of talked about of like she's built this bubble secluded like life with Rory and they have such a strong bond and now she's afraid of like sharing Rory essentially and having her get close with other people and be influenced by other people as well but then the other half which I think is really sad too is like Lorelai seeing her parents have such strong affection for Rory in a way that they didn't give her and maybe even if they did like it was lost in their falling out moment but I think from what we know from later on and what we hear like their love for for Lorelai was much more conditional you know like she had to do certain things to kind of win their love and their approval whereas like Rory they're just like so eager to be close with Rory that I think I mean so many things can fly with what Rory does with them and to like when Richard calls Rory instead of Lorelai and Lorelai's like he never he doesn't call her he call like calls Rory I think it's just sending her back down memory lane in like a really heartbreaking way that we then see at the end scene like Lorelai's left alone in that living room while the other three go off to like look at a shared object that interests all of them and it's really it's like it's sad and it's not resolved in any way like it's going to continue Mm -hmm. to be an issue but I really agree and I think like part of it also is kind of like 
Lorelai grieving a way that her life could have been or like a relationship that could have been it's kind of like when you have like a friend breakup or something and you realize that it really needed to happen like there was no way you could have kept that friendship in a healthy way but at the same time like I don't know you see them like still having a life and you still have a life and it sometimes is kind of like well, maybe we should have kept working at it or something like that. And I kind of wonder if that's what's happening for Lorelai, if she's really, like, not... She understands that it wouldn't have been good for her to stay in that situation with her parents, and she, like, left them for a good reason at that time in her life. But she's also, like, seeing maybe what could have been if Mm -hmm. she was a different person, basically. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like a, a weird, like, FOMO kind of thing. But it's it's not based in reality. But I think that we mm-hmm. all have instances like that in our lives where we, I don't know, grieve something that we think could have been, but in reality never, <laughs> never would have been like that. Right. I think you're right. The reality of the situation is, like, she almost certainly did make the right choice, as you point out. Like, she understands that. And it makes me think at the end when they see that um, there's, like, a wedding guest who seems like a mom or a grandmother, maybe. And she sits down this young girl in this, like, frilly pink dress and tells her, like, cross your legs, sit like a lady. Don't, like, go have any fun at all because I bought you a dress that's $500. And Lorelai is like, I had hundreds of dresses like that growing up. And in that moment, Rory, I think this is important, like, Rory understands Lorelai's childhood and understands the decision she makes. And she says, like, thanks for not putting me in dresses like that to Lorelai, which I thought was a really nice, like, coming together moment there. Yeah. On a less serious note, when I was a kid, my grandma used to make my sister and I dresses, and she also bought us frilly underwear, just like what Lorelai was talking about, so it would, like, act kind of like a petticoat to keep the dress puffed out, and they were so uncomfortable. my god. Like, you were sitting on little ruffles. It was just weird. (laughs) I wasn't... I don't know if I was into ruffles, per se, but... This might come as a surprise to you, too, because you see me more often and I'm, like, very into jeans or just any kind of, like, athleisure comfort wear. (laughs) But when I was younger, my mom will say that I I always wanted to buy dresses that could twirl and I would, like, test them out at the store to make sure that they twirled enough to my liking. And these were not $500 dresses, though, by any means, but they I did want them to twirl. And then for shoes, I wanted shoes that made a tapping sound. <laughs> so I would I also make sure. to be a tap dancer. <laughs> yeah, and then she wouldn't let me wear them in winter because the, that kind of shoe is more slick and dangerous. But uh, yeah. <laughs> how times have changed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, seriously. Okay. Parents. Do we have anything else to say in terms of the main moments? Or have we walked through them pretty well? I think we have gone through th- the only other thing that I have marked down that I kind of wanted to point out is the relationship between Suki and Lorelai that we get. Like, we just get a nice friend conversation between them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I appreciate that. I wish we, like, learned a little bit more about Suki at the same time, but, um, I mean, we didn't really get any other big interactions. Like, Lane wasn't in this episode. None of the people at school were. So I thought this was just a nice, like, kind of friendship moment uh, with Suki and Lorelai. But, yeah, that's the last thing I have to say. I agree. I actually noted that scene down too, and Suki, like, in that scene says that she's bad at advice and good at soup, (laughs) but I thought it, she actually is good at advice. I thought, like, Mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself, yeah, what a good friend Suki would be to have, because she is honest with Lorelai. She's like, you're jealous of Rory. She's not trying to sugarcoat things. And I'm like, that's a really good relationship for Lorelai to have in her Mm -hmm. life. And I also made the same note, like, I wish we had seen Lane and Rory have, like, a simultaneous conversation. But, um, yeah, I'm glad there weren't any boys or anything. No relationship drama. (laughs) Yeah, that won't last very long, I think. (laughs) But it was a nice, (laughs) nice break. We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. Are you hosting an expensive wedding for your spoiled twin daughters who are marrying twin brothers? Do you need to provide good entertainment at this event to distract your guests from that fact? Drella Harps On is the solution for just this kind of event. Visit Drella Harps On at drellaharpson.com to book Drella. Note, Drella does not take requests. She does not play classical harp to be cool. The music drives her. However, we have a special offer for listeners of Talking Fast. Jella will act as a jukebox and play any of your favorite artists, such as NSYNC, Spice Girls, and Britney Spears, for an additional fee of $100. That's just $100 for Jella to play whatever music that will please your demanding daughters or whoever else is at your event. So visit drellaharpson.com slash talkingfast or use the code TALKINGFAST at checkout. When you book Drella, don't forget to sign the waiver in which you agree that you will not take offense, yell at, or sue Drella if she says anything rude to you or a guest. Drella is responsible only for her music, not her biting sarcasm. Let's head off to Rory's bookshelf to discuss the most notable pop culture references in this episode. And then let's go to Lorelai's closet to check out the best and worst fashion choices in the show. Did you have um, something you picked out for Rory's bookshelf? I somehow didn't really for this episode. I I don't know. I missed. I think I missed a lot of the references. But the one like book that they mentioned is something I have no idea what it is, and that's the Minkins Christomathy. Um, I thought I had planned to look it up before this, but I completely forgot. But it, it sounds very archaic and <laughs> um, probably boring. Have you ever read it? No, I can't say I had <laughs> ever heard of it before this episode. I'm very much like Lorelai in that regard when she's like, oh, that book. Oh, um, I agree, but I didn't notice too many. Um, things for Rory's bookshelf either this time around. Okay, so I looked up Mencken uh, and the 
let's see. So it looks like a collection. Well, what I'm coming up with on uh, Google, a Mencken Christomathy, is a selection of Mencken's work, which seem to be short essays. I don't know if he was a philosopher. He kind of kind of looks like the cover image looks kind of Freudian with like a mm. cigar or something. Some of the things are a book of burlesques in defense of women, notes Ooh. on democracy, making a president. <laughs> Some of those so, don't sound half bad. <laughs> yeah, seems like very interesting uh, conversation topics, I guess. This raises the question, sorry, this raises the question, how could Rory possibly know about this book? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think she's, like, a genius child prodigy is kind of what we're expected to believe, so I think we're supposed to suspend our disbelief and think anything she mentioned, she's just so intelligent and bright that she finds all these things, she reads all of them. But when I'm really thinking about it, I'm like, realistically... How, how could she have read all of these things? How could she even know about some of these things? I I question it, but, you know, it's not my main concern, but that's just... Yeah. Especially, like, something that obscure that two English majors have never heard of it. I mean, granted, we aren't philosophy students, so maybe if we were, we would know about it, mm-hmm. but... Yeah, yeah. And I also... <laughs> Hopefully it's not very well known and we're actually just making (laughs) fools of ourselves. (laughs) Otherwise we'll get our first email that's like, you guys don't know about Mankin's Christomathy? (laughs) Um, I was also, like, sometimes I attempt to make connections between, like, some of the books that she mentions and what's happening in the episodes, but I can't. I think sometimes they're just random. (laughs) I think they are. I think they are. Uh, but in terms of Lorelai's closet, I actually did have two, I had two specific mm-hmm. fashion moments I had to discuss, but I, um, I will start with the beret <laughs> Yes. Um, <laughs> that Emily buys Rory, this beret for her golf outing. Mm-hmm. It's like yellow, green, and red, and Emily tells Rory she looks like Tiger Woods when she wears it. <laughs> Which is just bizarre, possibly, I mean, pretty maybe problematic or just weird thing to say. Like, maybe that's the only golfer Emily knows. I'm not really sure. Um, But then it does become a moment later on. And I I noted this because last time I picked out Rory's sweater. And then you brought up how, like, Lorelai, like, makes fun of her sweater a bit. Mm -hmm. This time, so I noticed again, like, Lorelai makes fun of the beret, like, I think it just had that, like, she had associated that emotional attachment with it, both of them. Like, Rory, it symbolizes for Rory, like, her good day, a meaningful day with her grandfather. And then Lorelai just associates it with, like, yet another thing Emily has bought for Rory, like, another representation of how she's getting further removed and whatnot. But, so that's a lot going on in one little beret, but. (laughs) No, that makes, that's. Yeah, it definitely is a lot. I always thought it was kind of a weird-looking beret. It almost looks like the colors are almost like Rastafarian colors. Yeah, that I couldn't and remember. It reminds <laughs> me of like, yeah, it reminds me of like Bob Marley um, album covers and stuff. 
but then it's put on Rory, who is like, yeah, it just seems out of place, and I don't understand how it how it's related to golfing. But I also don't know much about golfing culture, so I don't either. But <laughs> I would have expected like a tweed beret oh, or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so my Lorelai's closet moment was. Again, not something that Lorelai wore, although I liked a lot of her outfits. But it was um, Suki's uh, zigzag part. <laughs> they're in the scene where they're like walking together, and then they go and see the strawberries. She has a zigzag part, which is very, very '90s and early 2000s, and is very difficult to do because <laughs> um, hair just doesn't fall that way. But I, I appreciated it. I thought it was wonderful. I didn't notice that. It doesn't have... <laughs> yeah, it's... it's. I mean, because you don't get many shots of the top of her head. But it, there was just like a moment that I looked at it. And it was like, oh, I used to want to be able to do those so badly. But it never worked with my hair. <laughs> no, I think it would require hairspray and things to even try to get your hair to accept that organization method. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously. Mm. The things... And I think she also had one of those, like, ponytails that's, like, the little curly, like, the curly ponytails. Do you know what I'm talking about? That, like, Mm -hmm. I I don't know how to describe them better. (laughs) But very 2000s, early 2000s hairstyle. I love it. My my runner-up for Lorelai's Closet was the dress Lorelai wears at the end at the wedding. It's, like, this skin tight purple dress it has like a deep v but then has a subtle like neck scarf kind of component Mm -hmm. and she just looks so gorgeous and elegant and sexy like all of the good adjectives she looks fantastic in that dress yeah i noted that too yeah and she has like her hair slicked back in a low ponytail Mm -hmm. and i don't know she doesn't wear that color purple often like it seems like she's usually in like light blue or something like that but I yeah that dress was awesome it was a great color for her you're right yeah stole the show (laughs) yeah she up what do they say you're not supposed to like look better than the bride or something archaic (laughs) like that (laughs) yeah welcome to stars hollow is a chance for us to take a nostalgic stroll through the town discussing its cozy and comfortable aesthetics what kinds of things um did you want to bring up that were kind of quintessential Stars Hollow or made you feel nostalgic or cozy or anything in this episode? The thing that made me feel cozy is a little ironic because they were having a fight while they were there. <laughs> but when Rory and Lorelai were on the porch at their house again, that is what I picked. And I know you picked that previously, but so I wanted to just continue with it. Um, partially because I noticed the set changed (laughs) again. We were talking about that, like, this time it seems a lot more open, and there's, like, a table there, whereas before it was either a bench or, like, a couch that they had out on the front, and it's just much bigger. It looks more like a TV set of, like, it's not really a porch, but they're using it as one. But, I mean, with all of that said, I just found it, I thought it was interesting that they're continuing to kind of have fluctuating sets, but it's, like, light blue railings it's really open in their green yard it's really cozy 
the other thing I like about it is that this is like a um, a place where neighbors can just walk up onto your porch and ask you for vegetable oil and a shoehorn <laughs> if their cat is stuck <laughs> under their porch. <laughs> so it was like the home to another fantastic Babette and Maury moment. Um, so, uh, like, Babette says, play me home, baby, to Maury as she goes to leave. Um, I just thought it was so fantastic. <laughs> have you ever, this is completely off topic, but have you ever watched Coraline? No. The, is that Tim Barton or something? Mm-hmm. The father character in that, or the other father there's a like shot of him playing piano silhouetted and it looks just like Maury at the end that scene <laughs> but not as creepy that's like, awesome what was your welcome to Stars Hollow moment I am going back I guess to the exact same moment I just talked about in um, Lorelai's closet but my I don't know nostalgic moments out of the whole episode was just the entire strawberry debacle, especially when they are just walking past, and they walk past Dozie's Market, which I don't think we've been introduced to yet, Mm -hmm. and there's, like, the fruits and everything outside, and it just seems like a nice small town kind of moment. Um, At this point, I can't tell what season we're in. Last episode, it was freezing. I guess maybe in Connecticut, they have second summers just like we do in the Midwest. <laughs> but yeah, I just love the like fruit outside, walking past and just, I don't know, picking up something you need on the way home or something like that. It, it's kind of quintessential small town to me. Mm-hmm. Or like it's such a small town that Jackson happens to be walking by at the same yeah. moment and catch Suki cheating on him with another grocer. <laughs> I think that's an yeah. awesome small town moment as you said. <laughs> yeah then they run through the street obscuring traffic and stuff. That was so yeah, funny. Adorable. It was really adorable. <laughs> I don't I can't remember are we supposed to know they're romantically entwined or does that not happen does that happen later on yeah i think that doesn't happen until like season two or something it's oh. definitely not for a while okay shows I think, what i remember i think lorelei yeah i think lorelei like goes th- goes through a boyfriend before suki and jackson get together wow okay well i'm excited to Max. see it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I think it's time for Friday Night Dinner, our once-a-week opportunity to critique something from this episode. The opposite of cozy feels (laughs) Friday Night Dinner. Is there, like, a critique that you would like to put forward from, uh, I mean, of episode three? Yeah, it is a continuation of what we were talking about last week, I think, and it mostly has to do with kind of the assumptions around different characteristics that people have. So specifically the assumption that, as I said earlier, Rory is just completely like submissive to everybody just because she's quiet and bookish and that she has no will of her own, basically. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week with the ideas of like, women can either be a super, um, 
like out there and boisterous and everything or they're super subdued and controllable and yeah I just am continuing to see those those things come up in the show and I can't wait until the moment when Rory finally like puts her foot down and I think it's coming um and she kind of does in a soft way in this episode like she she does concede to Lorelai but she also like gets angry at Lorelai when Lorelai continues to harp on her for you know liking her grandpa basically (laughs) um yeah that was that was my big critique is mostly just the continuation of limiting Mm. people's characters just Mm -hmm. by one personality trait or something like that Mm. yeah I think that's a really good observation of something that has continued so far in the first few episodes yeah what did you have a specific thing you wanted to critique from this episode yes and it was actually at the first Friday night dinner, so aptly titled. (laughs) Uh, This was the, like, we see the beginning of the running joke of Emily's, like, interchangeable employees, basically, her housekeepers, her cooks, and whatnot. And on the one hand, this seems like a critique that the show itself is putting forward, like, it uses Lorelai and Rory and in that dinner scene for us to kind of, like, see this scene through their eyes. And, like, they recognize, like, this is not okay behavior. Like, you should remember people's names. Um, like, you shouldn't treat them in a dehumanizing way. Like, this behavior is not okay. And I think that's, like, a good point to make, you know? Um, mm-hmm. But then I wonder, like, does the show eventually take this joke too far like does it really just become a joke or a gimmick rather than like a critique and I was thinking like are they just re like reinforcing the same logic that Emily and Richard are doing by having like maids in the background that become interchangeable to the viewer because they're always background characters never with like stories or barely even names or faces even So I almost wonder if they accidentally or carelessly like replicate the very thing they set out to critique. And then the final the final point I'll make here is that there's this small but weird moment in this conversation, too, that gets to some like gender essentialism a bit related to what you were saying. But Lorelai is like shocked that Richard couldn't distinguish between Anton and Sophia I think it was like she repeatedly is like one is a man and one is a woman and I thought the show was just really like trying doing this like reinforcing of like very strict gender essentialist like sex roles in a way like how could Richard like possibly not know the difference between a man and a woman and it's like really relying on that gender essentialist logic of like there are inherent traits that each sex has and you recognize them and whatnot and I just thought it was like very it's like just very like a violent ideology basically and Mm -hmm. I'm like that's not okay and I thought it was so weird that Lorelai was like so insistent in that moment I was like gross Lorelai not cool (laughs) yeah yeah I wonder if that also like goes with kind of the gendered um 
positions, like maids or somebody in that position, like housekeeping kind of position is assumed to always be a woman. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that also kind of plays into Lorelai's, like, <laughs> disbelief at it. But yeah, I think I, I'm i inclined to agree with you that they do, like, maybe they started this to be a critique, but it definitely does become, yeah, just a running joke by the end. And we, we never get to know any of the housekeeping staff. It's not like, it's not like some break between the audience and the characters on the show like we all they're also faceless to us you know in the end um mm-hmm. which as we're seeing in the world now like so many people in the service industry are just faceless and replaceable mm-hmm. or seen that way by so many people in different positions and yeah it's just kind of sad that it couldn't have actually stayed <laughs> as a worthwhile critique, I think, because that would have been really interesting for the show to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it started off with promise, and then I think ultimately ends not in not such a satisfying way. Although I am now moving forward, planning to like see how it goes as we recap. Yeah, and I guess maybe jumping too far ahead, but in the revival, things shift a little bit with Emily and her housekeepers, but we'll save that for. Uh, a few years away (laughs) we yeah that complicates it I definitely wanted to talk about that but I will also save it for a few years from now (laughs) and now let's meet at the gazebo to discuss our favorite moment from this episode to the gazebo what was your favorite moment from this entire episode Mm -hmm. well honorary mention to the whole Rory and Richard storyline as I mentioned I was surprised kind of caught unawares like my cold heart (laughs) not so not really that cold but it was warmed quite a bit (laughs) by seeing that uh but this episode was also as we talked about interspersed with a lot of good comedic moments so I wanted to highlight that part of the show and I'm excited because this is actually not something that came up earlier when they're in Luke's diner (laughs) I'm laughing just remembering it. Luke um, is, he's got some amazing environmental activism that I think is like quite of our current moment. So even more exciting that it happened like 21 years ago. He says that golf courses are an environmental hazard. And then later on, he also describes the people who like are in, who golf at well, he says the devastators of our land, referring to like the <laughs> golf country club people. And I thought it was like so eco critical, so just like I loved it. I thought it was hilarious. I think it's a good critique that he put forward. I just I loved everything about it. And he was so judgmental. It was yeah. awesome. <laughs> and it's such a cool like character development that seems almost out of place in like the kind of stereotype that Luke could be put into right as like a diner owner like a, a greasy spoon kind of guy and he's totally not that mm-hmm. and this is like our first real uh yeah <laughs> image of him being his own person his own character yeah mm-hmm. I like that as well <laughs> how about you what was your gazebo moment well I have to give it to Babette again um <laughs> and This might become a trend, but she has a cat, and I can't ignore that. 
Um, so my gazebo moment is her interrupting Rory and Lorelai on the porch to because Cinnamon has gotten stuck under their porch, I think, and she says, his big orange tush just staring me in the face, and I understand this because I have a cat with very, very furry pantaloons, and they're often in my <laughs> face, <laughs> and I, I, we see, we don't see Cinnamon, but we see him later in episodes, and mm-hmm. he's a recurring animal character on the show, and I, I love it, and Babette, her one-liners are just the best. <laughs> Truly the, the best. Uh, that's awesome. That's a really funny, I, I had a suspicion you would pick that moment <laughs> and for good <Yeah>. reason. <laughs> I know I can't resist. And she also, it makes it even better that she's got like that very peculiar voice and mm. she's yelling all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's got the best voice, like deep and raspy kind of. And then paired yeah. with like her amazing <laughs> permed hair or naturally curly hair. She's just a whole a vibe and a look and it's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> no notes. Yeah. And then <laughs> Maury, who's like twice her height, mm-hmm. skinny piano man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They're wonderful. Yeah. Okay, I think do you have any closing things you'd like to talk about? Anything we didn't get to in this episode? No, I think I'm good, but I had a lot of fun talking about episode three. I don't know if it necessarily moved things forward in terms of plot, but in terms of, like, the threads it was pulling through and the humor it offered, I thought it was, like, very... I I loved it. I had a lot of fun watching this one. Yeah, I agree. It had no romantic entanglements, (laughs) which, as we said earlier, is not something that happens often is just good mother-daughter problems (laughs) (laughs) problems yeah (laughs) okay so on that note um don't forget to send us your gazebo moments um you can do this in a one minute voice memo or if you don't want to talk you can just send us an email and we'll read it out Mm -hmm. but send these to talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com and we'll play it on the podcast and give our reactions to your gazebo moments in the future. It'd be so fun. And then yes. <laughs> uh, we would also ask that if you enjoyed any of our episodes so far to please rate and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts on Apple or Spotify, etc. And if you'd like to keep up to date with us, we post to our Instagram with news and fun media related to stuff we discuss in the episode so you can follow us at talking fast podcast on instagram too okay same time next week yeah see you then when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Thank you.